Hey folks, before we jump into this episode, I just want to make a quick announcement. My new book, We Live in the Orbit of Beings Greater Than Us, published through Gods and Radicals Press, is now out. You can go to a abeautifulresistance.org, go to the top of the page, and click on the Books tab, and there you will find a link to that, and everything you need to know about the book, including who's in it and what it's about, can be found there. You can buy a physical copy and or a digital copy of the book. You can also go to my website, lastbornthewilderness.com. Look at the top of the page. You will find a link to that book as well. This book has been a labor of love, and I'm so happy with how it's turned out. So thank you to everybody that's worked on it and to everybody that agreed to be in the book. There are close to 30 individuals, 30 interviews that are featured in this book with commentary from yours truly. So if you're curious about that at all, please go to abeautifulresistance.org, click on the Books tab, and you'll find a link there. Thank you. Here's the episode. Hey folks, thank you for tuning in. In this episode, I speak with the hosts of the Conspirituality Podcast, Derek Barris, Matthew Remsky, and Julian Walker. This is a podcast, and I'm just going to quote from their uh, their website, as the alt-right and new age horseshoe toward each other in a blur of disinformation, well-intentioned discourse and honest debate are being smothered. Charismatic influencers exploit their followers by peddling dangerous conspiracy theories. In the process, spiritual beliefs that nurture creativity and meaning are transformed into memes of quickly globalizing paranoia. Conspirituality attempts to bring clarity to this conversation. A journalist, cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic discuss the stories, cognitive dissonances, and cultic dynamics tearing through the yoga, wellness, and new spirituality worlds. Now, each of these men have been involved in some form or another in these circles, as they said, the health and wellness community, new spirituality worlds. And I've interviewed Matthew previously. The last time we spoke was late last year. We discuss the cultic dynamics within yoga community specifically, and how in that interview, we talked about how those dynamics, those cultic dynamics that emerge in these communities can be applied uh, in our understanding of what could possibly happen as we enter into a climate-disrupted present. Uh, What does it mean to live in a time where, you know, ecologies are collapsing around the world, where the climate has been so severely disrupted that we're going to see system-wide failures, infrastructurally, politically, economically, how in these states of crisis we see cult figures, gurus, these types of individuals that emerge to provide some kind of stability, some answer, some uh, sense of comfort in the face of increasing uncertainty. Now, that conversation still applies, but again, what I comment, I'm just basically saying what I said at the beginning of this damn episode, but, uh, you know, basically... Uh, since that interview was recorded late last year, we have seen in this span of time rising authoritarianism, fascism, the proliferation of, of really outrageous conspiracy theories that are now adhered to by millions of Americans, U.S. Americans, and many other people around the world, but in particular the United States. 
QAnon, for instance. And I, I recently released an interview with political analyst and author Jared Yates Sexton, in which he breaks down the tenets of this conspiracy theory, what people that are adhering to this idea, this belief system, what they believe, um, how this is impacting politics, political discourse in the United States. But really what we talk about in that interview with Jared is the intersections between evangelical Christianity, that's kind of apocalyptic end of days interpretation of Christianity, of Christian belief, and QAnon, this far-right conspiracy theory. Now, in this interview or in this discussion with Derek, Matthew, and Julian uh, in discussing their podcast, we talk about the intersections between the New Age, the New Spirituality, the Health and Wellness Community, the Yoga Community, these types of communities that have emerged, particularly in the age of neoliberalism, and their intersection with QAnon. Why is it that you see very prominent health and wellness influencers online basically being red-pilled, as they call it, you know, spouting talking points and ideas that are coming from QAnon? Again, this is a dangerous thing because it is a far-right conspiracy theory, because with these types of narratives, it gives a justification for a kind of fascist takeover Um, And that is a very important thing to understand that in the moment that we are in right now in the United States specifically, and I think there are parallels in many other countries. I want to say that from my understanding, but I really want to be very clear that I can't speak for every population uh, within the various nations around the planet. But I think when we particularly see the rise of right-wing reactionary violence and uh, right-wing populism and and the rise of fascist or proto-fascist dictators within democratic or seemingly liberal democratic societies, we need to be aware how these conspiracy theories operate to provide a context for the justification for the rise of these things. And it's just super fascinating to see all the ways in which this one particular conspiracy theory, which is very uh, expansive and how it has really crept up on everybody. I mean, the the thing that I think this podcast in particular, the, the Conspirituality podcast provides is resources, analysis, insight into how cults work, how we can spot the red flags, how we can potentially communicate and give resources to others who are not only have people in their lives that are getting sucked into this line of thinking, but also, you know, if people that are still able and have an opening in their minds to have a discussion about these things, you know, how we can frame these things around why these ideas are not valid, why we need to have critical thinking skills, especially right now. I mean, this is a theme that I've been wanting to discuss on this podcast, especially more recently, because I think one of the more immediate threats to our existence is, yes, climate disruption, yes, ecological collapse, uh, but it's all these other interconnecting crises like the collapse of what we define as sort of a collectively agreed upon reality. And and look, I, I want to make clear that my political leanings, you know, I don't really have a lot of faith in the state or the institutions of the state in general. But I recognize how precarious the situation really is right now. The fact is we don't have a widespread political consciousness or economic understanding of why we are in the positions that we're in. I think many people are just baffled and blindsided by the various things that are coming up just in the past nine months since that last interview I did with Matthew. And again, we need to have these conversations. We need to prepare ourselves 
for what's coming. We need to prepare ourselves for what's unfolding right now. And there are so many red flags in this country right now about rising authoritarianism um, and right-wing reactionary politics. This is really crucial that we understand why this is happening and not just a matter of, of having empathy, I guess, or, or just a sense of comprehension and understanding, but also to sort of anchor ourselves, ground ourselves a bit. It's okay to question your own reality. It's okay to have skepticism. It's okay to, to question the official narrative around things. But often the, the landscape that we operate in, politically, economically, socially, etc., there are many pitfalls. There are many challenges We live in an increasingly brutal society, and it's a very difficult time to navigate these spaces, especially when we have people we love and we're in relationships with that are getting sucked into really harmful narratives uh, around why everything is falling apart. And that's really crucial because asking the right questions is extremely important right now. And I feel like the way that people are feeling right now, the, the fact that so many people that were once apolitical or once had sort of a centrist or whatever position, even people on the on the left, you know, the far left or whatever, are getting sucked into some of these conspiracy thinking narratives. It's incredibly important right now to be able to think in a more complex and nuanced way to not have a black and white narrative. And that's challenging. Uh, we internalize a lot of that shit growing up. But I think, you know, this is a combination of doing the work internally, you know, preparing ourselves, anchoring, grounding ourselves, like I mentioned earlier, but also being able to work and operate in the world because you can't just isolate yourself from everything that's going on. So I think that this podcast, Conspirituality, is so timely, so fucking needed right now. What Matthew, Derek, and Julian are doing here is just really valuable. I mean, it's really important stuff. If you want to learn more about their work and about this podcast, I would recommend going to conspirituality.net. Now, that is conspirituality, a merging of conspiracy and spirituality. I will be putting a link to that down in the description of this episode. You can also support them at patreon.com slash conspirituality. Uh, they're on social media. Uh, I'll be putting links to all of that and all those resources in the description of this episode. And if you would like to learn more about my project specifically, you can do that at lastborninthewilderness.com. Everything you need to know will be there. If you would like to support my work monetarily, you can do that through two means. You can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal. You go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast. Uh, Donations obviously are very helpful. Uh, So to those that have already been doing that, thank you very much. And to those that would like to sustain this work on a regular monthly basis, you can do that through Patreon at patreon.com slash lastborninthewilderness. All right, without any further delay, here's my interview with Derek Barris, Matthew Remsky, and Julian Walker of the Conspirituality Podcast. got Derek, we've got Julian, we've got Matthew here from the Conspirituality Podcast. As I said before we started, this is the most uh, guests that I've had on the podcast at one time. So I'm really grateful for all three of you carving out some time to speak with me. I've been excited to do this for like over a week now since we set this up. So uh, thank you to all three of you.
for joining me. A Thank pleasure. You Patrick. Thank yeah. you, Patrick. Yeah. And, uh, and as I said, I think before, I, I'm most familiar with, with Matthew because we did an interview late last year. Uh, we discussed uh, cult dynamics within yoga communities, yoga groups, spiritual, spirituality, wellness groups. Uh, I don't know how far our range really went with that, but specifically your experiences with the yoga community. Um, and, you know, what we wanted to do in that is talk about how those cult dynamics, um, particularly as we enter into a state of, you know, uh, crisis, um, I think we mostly framed around ecology and climate disruption. We did, yeah. Yeah. But then since then, and I just want to say this really quickly, is just that, you know, and then like eight or nine months since we recorded that, shit has just gotten so intense. And not necessarily from the climate, I mean, climatologically, things are getting worse for sure. But really, it's it's a within the United States, we're witnessing, you know, we have a, obviously COVID, the economic crisis that's come out of that, uh, rising fascism and authoritarianism. Um, and we have this... Um, I don't even if you want to call it an election. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen in November, mm-hmm. but we mm-hmm. have this sort of impending, this feeling. And so I think people are feeling that vulnerability that we addressed um, in that interview. So I just want to say that seeing all three of you come together and put together the Conspirituality podcast, I think is it's very important right now that people have these resources because I think I'm sure all of you can relate with the fact that we know people or we have friends that have come to us that have talked about people they know that are getting sucked into conspiracy thinking, uh, whether it's QAnon, which is pervasive, or uh, other, I don't even know, uh, things that are adjacent to that. Um, so again, I, just to just to lay on compliments to all three of you, I think, <laughs> get those out of the way. But I really think the way you approach this subject is... Uh, it's it's really important. Yeah. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's 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 such a wild time and I was I was looking at your uh at your about page and and watching your intentions video uh like an hour ago, mm-hmm. finishing it up. I started it yesterday and just really thinking about, you know, one of the words that you mentioned was uh, apocalyptic and how we're in this time where um there's there's so many more different groups are expressing this kind of apocalyptic urgency around whatever their particular topic is that they have emotional investment in. And that's one of the things that that started popping up for me today is sort of the differentiation between the passionate intensity and urgency of all these different movements on the one hand versus like, what is the, the substance of their concerns, the substance of their arguments, the the worldview that they're uh, espousing about what what's really going on, I think I think for a lot of people it gets hard to sort of parse that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Right, everyone is saying there's an urgent need for you to take action and be involved and and know what's really happening and wake up from your slumber, but the ideologies that underpin that sort of uniform message or or emotion. Uh, are really different, and the, the whole incursion of QAnon stuff into the wellness community has been an aspect of that. That I think all three of us were just like, "What the fuck is going on? How do we make sense of this?" So yes, what the fuck is going on? How do we make sense of it? But mm-hmm. also, I think 
uh, it's becoming increasingly clear that the themes of conspirituality and QAnon are very adjacent and perhaps gatewaying for each mm-hmm. other. Uh, and um, yeah, the 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 trumping of so to speak emotion over data or information or public health discourse uh, is really there's really something there. It shows how. Um, the the notion of waking up or transforming to something is really slippery, but also amoral and can serve to sort of indicate any kind of, uh, you know, revelation or activation or, or political consciousness. I mean, the QAnon itself calls its entire um, narrative, the great awakening. And this is, this is language exactly. that this is language that goes back in American theological history uh, but it's also language that tracks perfectly onto uh, any high-intensity New Age movement that you can think of, mm-hmm. um, and and so what we what we awaken to is like this blankness politically. Uh, it's it's because because the emotions don't really the the contag- the emotional contagion doesn't really have a direction unless it's manipulated by somebody who's like a real political operator. So, you know, and that's where we see the QAnon people uh, washing their brand, which has become toxic in some circles mm-hmm. with save the children as a, as a hashtag. Um, and so there's a there's the capacity to, to direct emotional intensity towards a particular uh, political goal. And it's very difficult for participants to see. I think, too, you know, that just to finish up that thought is off of what you were saying, Matthew, uh, as a as a kid of the late 20th century. And as someone who grew up in South Africa, I have a kind of affinity for all of that sort of, you know, 60s onwards. And then where I grew up in South Africa, 80s onwards, really, um, the protest movement, the sense of, of the sense of popular culture and progressive sort of politics being, being em- like represented by these ideas of waking up, of, of uh, seeing the corruption, of overcoming the toxicity and the oppression, all of that has, has always had a, a humanistic, liberal, you know, uh, f- uh, p- progressive tone to it. And so the thing that has been so dismaying to me over the last maybe 10 years or so is to see how all of that, all of that energy, all of the indicators of of what it means to be part of a progressive revolutionary movement have been just co-opted or, or become, they've been come spread out across the political spectrum where everyone tries to cosplay in that way, regardless of what their ideology is. And that is, it's, it's part of, I guess the cliche observation is it's the reality of the internet and the information age and how we're just, we just have this deluge of, of impressions and it's, you know, you, you don't really know what, what any of it means. Um, that's, that's dismaying. Yeah. You certainly know how it feels though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels urgent. It feels Mm hyper-connected. It feels anxious. Mm -hmm. It feels, um, yeah, it feels overwhelming. Yeah. And who doesn't want to save the children? Yeah. And Derek, did you have something you wanted to, to say about that as well? One point that I come, I make often, well, let's take it briefly with two points. Uh, it, someone had commented on a post that I made on conspirituality the other day on the Facebook page, uh, 
just challenging something I had said about big wellness and the wellness community and the monetization of wellness. And it was a very respectful post. Actually, it was quite measured. But he made the point of, you know, just because you're tackling these subjects, don't feel that you need to go to the extreme where I was challenging like cleansing in the supplement industry, which, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I think he took it down because I didn't see the, the post. I was going to reply, but I just wanted to point out that I've been, as a journalist, I've been writing about these same exact topics for a decade, but for a long time, they were just kind of getting very little traction when I challenged things as a yoga instructor and as someone involved in wellness generally. But the, the, this leads to the second point, which is one, uh, Julian and I actually started a website in 2012 called Yoga Brains that we ran for about a year with five of us were writing on it, which was just about political and social engagement in the yoga community, which was lacking. And even then, uh, you know, and we were friends with people who like off the mat into the world, people who are trying to do social causes with the yoga community. And there has been some support, but there's never been widespread support, which leads to my criticism that spirituality as it's presented in America, first of all, it came through a capitalist system. And second of all, it, it didn't, when people don't have to actually engage politically, they won't. They've lived with a sort of sense of privilege this whole time that they probably didn't recognize. And now for the first time in their life, everyone is being challenged and just being asked to sacrifice, whether it's wearing a face mask or going outside and people cannot deal with it. And so the if you have been checked out of politics for your entire life and this is your first engagement because something you want to do you can no longer do it, it's easy to understand how people use facebook as their newsfeed and they get into these rabbit holes so while as with uh, Julian and Matthew expressed we're all dismayed by watching the yoga wellness holistic community get pulled into it my feeling is that because people have not paid attention to politics, likely haven't voted, haven't done any civic responsibilities this entire time, it makes sense that they would get pulled into this because it already feeds a narrative they were pushing on the spiritual side of things. But now it's kind of moving into uh, real life. And the danger being is that they they don't know that or realize that these talking points are coming from foreign agents who very much want to see the downfall of our country and they're being used. And it's, it's just, again, because of that lack of political engagement and it's really kind of tragic, but that's the society we've set up for the last half century. I would add to that too, not only the disconnection from politics, right. As, as a, as an expression of privilege, but also the spiritualization of, uh, systematically eroding yourself of critical thinking because the way to be yeah. more spiritual is to be more quote unquote open-minded more in your heart. Don't think about it. Just have faith, just feel it, just be it, you know, like all of this kind of stuff I think makes, makes a generation of people very susceptible to carefully crafted propaganda that, that has an emotional appeal. There's also along with, you know, along with receptivity, and uh, living in the moment and, uh, you know, connecting with your heart, uh, there's a very clever weaponization of the instability of neoliberal economies mm-hmm. where, you know, there's nothing to trust or to hang on to anyway. Uh, your union has been, has been uh, hacked. Uh, your working day is no longer a working day. 
uh, you are a gig laborer. And so living for the moment and uh, following your bliss and connecting with your heart uh, becomes this sort of like toxic advice for people who are being asked to actually navigate a landscape uh, that doesn't give a shit about them. Uh, so, so all of the all of the responsibility for care uh, is involuted and becomes the becomes the responsibility of of the person, the individual, and then them being able to perform wellness, whether in social media contexts or or if they're able to mon- monetize that, that becomes a sign that they're doing okay. Uh, and so, so yeah, there's, there's, it's not just that there's this spiritualization of, of declining critical thinking, but it's also instrumental to, you know, this whole sort of landscape that we have in which it's very difficult for people to even mount an analysis about labor practices or like, you know, if, if this yoga corporation is, is hiring us, uh, shouldn't we unionize if they've been treating us badly for, for 15 years? Like that's actually a difficult discussion for people to have instead of just a no brainer. So, so yeah, it's, there's, there's been an, there's been economic drivers to that as well. Um, that have nothing to do with, with progressive values. In fact, in fact, they're, they're, they go the opposite direction. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this, um, you know, one of the things that have come up more recently, and I was listening to your most recent episode about, um, you know, you're addressing this thing that's that's pervasive now, which is hashtag save the children. Is that is that right? That's what it is, right? Hashtag save the children. There's all of these um, not accurate uh, statistics about what is it, 80,000 or 800,000 children that are abducted? A there's year? A, yeah, there's a misquoted statistic uh, about there being 800,000 children per year that that uh, go missing in the United States. Uh, but uh, uh, Reagan Williams helped us dig into that a little bit further right. uh, to show that to show that the vast majority are are uh, returned unharmed and that and not unharmed, but are returned. Uh, that they survive, but that but that stranger abductions, which the entire QAnon uh, panic is built upon, uh, are actually like a negligible percentage of that eight hundred thousand. One hundred and fifteen, I think, is the number that comes up. Yeah, and I just wanted to say that what made me very—I mean, it kind of came for me. It came out of nowhere. I'm sure it's been under the surface for a while, and maybe has emerged in different forms in different ways throughout recent history. But what I found very in a way, what you're talking about is a lack of maybe a political framework or or consciousness around why we are the way we are and you know the alienation that we're experiencing and how that gets channeled into a sort of spiritual wellness um, marketing scheme, right? Um, but I was thinking, I'm like, okay, we actually have children that are being separated from their parents that are seeking asylum um, on the southern border of the United States. Those kids are actually going missing. They're actually being probably being trafficked as well. That's a very, uh, very real thing as well. And it's like, I didn't see any of these people give a shit about that. As far as I could tell, they weren't doing anything. They weren't protesting the detention centers, which are basically concentration camps here in the United States. Um, They didn't care about the children then. But now, for some reason, this meme has popped up. And these false statistics and these ideas that people have, the Wayfair, I think you addressed that in a recent, maybe several episodes that you you guys have talked about with, uh, what is it? It's a, is it like an online furniture 
an online furniture company, and and uh, there was a there was a meme that started uh, suggesting that uh, the names of the cabinets were actually names of children, and that's why the cabinets themselves were ten and twelve thousand dollars when really they were industrial units that actually do cost that much, and so on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, this what you're speaking to, like uh, Theo Wildcroft spoke really, really uh, well to in uh, a couple of episodes ago, um, describing describing how uh, you know what's attractive about fantasized trafficking numbers and fantasized um, uh, pedophilia rings is that it really displaces our attention from actual trafficking numbers or actual pedophilia rings or actual, uh, abuse within our families and communities. That's a lot closer to home. Uh, and that's just a very age old story. It's a lot easier psychologically for a society, uh, to, um, to, to rage at a dream than it is to look in their closet. Yeah, I think what was most disturbing, and I think this is something that I, I thought I, I think about, is that people, and this ties into, I think, the appeal of conspiracy thinking, conspiracy theories, is that you can often, I think it comes from a sense of helplessness and a sense of like, if there is this cabal or this elite group of people that are in control of everything and are enslaving the human population, then it, it kind of speaks in and gives validation to that feeling of helplessness that we all feel living within a alienating capitalist society. Um, and, and I would also say that when it comes to, I think the appeal of QAnon specifically is that this is, this relates to an interview I did recently with the Jared Yates Sexton. We talked about QAnon and why it's so, uh, pervasive is that it actually gamifies the whole conspiracy theory thing where everybody's participating in de- uh, decoding, um, trying to decipher these riddles, these cue drops. So everybody feels like they're on the edge of like solving something, some big, you know, great awakening is about to happen. The storm is about to happen. All of these pedophiles and child cannibal eater people are going to be like rounded up in some mass arrest thing and trump is somehow involved in this and and i think you know that to me what was so fascinating about it is that it has these elements of conspiracy theory but it's so much more engaging and i think social media plays a big part in that for sure Um, so i don't know i I guess i not really a good question in there but if what your thoughts are on like why is it that QAnon specifically as this conspiracy theory, because in that interview with Jared, we talked more about the alignment of evangelical Christian communities um, and QAnon. They, they go together pretty well. They meld together pretty well. But what you two, or all three of you, I should say, are addressing more is the alignment of the health and wellness influencers and community and QAnon. And I find this really fascinating. Uh, what do you think, I know we kind of touched on it a bit there, but what do you think are those intersections there? Why uh, why is it that seemingly progressive-minded people who care about health and wellness and all this stuff are getting sucked in by a far-right conspiracy theory? I don't know who wants to go first. I can maybe well, throw that to I'll Derek jump first. In. I wanna, <laughs> okay. uh, I'll jump in because I'm going to take something Julian said and run with it for a moment, and I'll pass it to him. When he mentioned the lack of critical thinking, uh, I think a lot because you know we've done an episode on vaccines, for example, and it is a very polarizing issue, but what people don't understand is that just because we're 
we think that vaccine works because all the science generally says vaccines are one of the most effective ways of protecting you against viruses and diseases. And yes, there is some possible problems with it. And that is documented online and very honest about it. But they people will then assume that we are shilling for big pharma. And my own, my other world is in psychedelic therapy, where my the entire book I'm writing about is a is basically showing how psychiatry has has pharmacologized mental health to a point where it's very harmful to a lot of people. These are all nuanced subjects, and they are they they are not black and white any of them. But wellness influencers generally take a contrarian position because of many of the real problems that the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry have created in a capitalist system that they've gone, you know, we've gone from this trillion dollar pharmaceutical industry to this $40 billion. That number is, you know, kind of varies, but uh, wellness and supplement industry. So you look at these things and you're like, okay, just because uh, I probably shouldn't be taking a statin for my uh, cholesterol, that does not necessarily mean this herb that you found in some exotic country is, just because somebody said it works is going to, but peep, that's what happens. So you see this constant contrarian position that wellness influencers take that think that anything that is comes from a respected source or something that's funded by someone they don't like, therefore cannot work. And that's simply not true. Uh, but I think that that mindset of always being anti whatever the popular or the mainstream thing is presented to you by doctors is the wrong thing, set them up perfectly for this sort of indoctrination into QAnon because it very much feeds that contrarian position that they hold already. Yeah, it's it's the the term that I that I coined freshman skepticism, right? That there's a there's a kind of entryway into skeptical thinking where there's this intense mistrust of the mainstream media and big pharma and and uh, uh, public health officials, um, but but there is not the same kind of scrutiny applied whatsoever to the alternative claims that are being made or to the alternative figures that are stepping forward to monetize those kinds of claims. I wanted to I wanted to come back to something that Matthew said about the you know like the gig economy and the sense of I feel like there's a sense of and, and you were saying it too Patrick of the alienation um, there's a there's a level of anxiety that I think is pervasive in terms of the the uncertainty of our our lives and and trying to get ahead and do you have uh, do you have health insurance and you know what's what's going to happen with with all these different variables that I think sets us up to, because the, the tone of conspiracy theories is essentially paranoid. And so that paranoia, I think, plugs into anxiety quite well. If there's a, if there's a free-floating anxiety you have that you're not quite sure how to identify because you're supposed to be too blessed to be stressed and you're supposed to just believe in yourself and know that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and become you know whoever you want to in this great free society, if you're not oppressed, if there's if there's nothing you know that if you don't if you don't have an analysis of the political or or social situation that helps you make sense of that anxiety, then a paranoid conspiracy theory fits the bill. And I also think this this whole idea of gamification and getting caught up in something is fascinating. It reminds me of being a teenager. I don't know if this was the case in the United States, but certainly in South Africa, uh, I remember first coming across Nostradamus 
right? Mm -hmm. and, and Q is kind of a Nostradamus-esque figure, right? Here are all of these cryptic things for you to decode and try and understand and what do they mean and how do they correlate? Uh, and it, it's actually, it's very similar to all kinds of prophecy and, and things like astrology, where you're trying to interpret various signs and symbols in terms of what, how they line up with your life experience. And it takes it to a level of abstraction where you don't actually have to deal with, with uh, a less sexy analysis, a, a more nuanced, complex, you know, well-informed analysis of, of the world around you. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say, just to throw it to Matthew, is, uh, you know, I've, I've expressed many times, Patrick, the same question that you did is, how, is, how does this group of wellness and yoga type folks who we think of as being progressive get swept up in this far-right conspiracy narrative? But I know Matthew has, uh, has a contrarian point of view on whether or not we actually have been progressive. <laughs> mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the evidence bears it out. I think we like to think of ourselves, probably the three of us have belonged to various yoga and wellness communities that have really liked to think of themselves as being progressive. But when the shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. uh, you know, either people don't want to politically organize or they want to choose very um, sort of uncontroversial topics like, um, you know, whatever Greenpeace is campaigning on that season uh, to back. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that in in the modern era, uh, contemporary new religious movements, uh, yoga, Buddhist spiritualities, that they're predictors of progressive politics. They, they that just hasn't borne out in terms of the evidence. And the two things that come to mind when I, I listen to your question, um, Patrick, which I think is really like, it's a core question. Uh, so how does the wellness industry get wrapped up in alt-right conspiracy theories? Um, first of all, um, to add to the political economic analysis, uh, the prime movers for all of this stuff are in the US, uh, I have to say. I mean, I might be, I might be missing something. But it does seem that uh, conspirituality and QAnon are export products from the U.S. at this point. The only things that can travel, actually, outside of the U.S. Um, and and um, don't remind me, really, Matthew. Yeah, what's what's really what's and what's really what's really important about that is that the uh, the wellness industries have emerged in the context of the absence of universalized healthcare. And so there is a natural structural antipathy uh, that, um, that, that, that resists the notion that public health options or organized health care or, you know, uh, all of these instruments and social mechanisms that have been so oppressive to the American public, there's a resistance to the notion that they could do any good at all. Uh, you know, when people, when people spend a generation uh, being, you know, screwed over by their insurance companies uh, and battling with doctors over, over, you know, diminishing levels of care, uh, it's, I think it's very easy for uh, the population generally to become cynical about the value of healthcare and public health in general. And then if you actually make your business into monetizing a resistance to that or options against it, uh, then you become even more enthusiastic in, in that way uh, into, you know, libertarian healthism. Uh, so that's one thing that I wanted to add, like in, I don't, I think these, these ideas and these movements uh, do do occur in in Canada, and of course they occur in Europe as well. But they occur more slowly. Uh, they build more slowly. They have less sort of 
of a viral quality. It's not like the places that have strong uh, socialist democracies are like a tinderbox waiting to blow up with this stuff. So that's that's the one thing one thing that I wanted to say. The other thing about like what makes wellness people vulnerable to alt-right conspiracy theories. Um, I, one thing that we haven't discussed on the podcast, that, but I want to flesh out a little bit more, is that at least with the spiritual communities that that I know and that I know a bunch of us are familiar with, there is an ongoing um, and very commonplace trope around the notion of... Uh, Awakening, I mean, there's that word again, but awakening to reality, piercing through illusion, understanding that everything that you knew before is not as it was, piercing the veil, coming through the other side. And and I would just like to see some analysis or some data around how many people matriculated in Buddhist or yoga groups where there was the notion that at a certain point in in, uh, spiritual practice that you'd have this threshold realization by which you would understand that the entire world was illusory. And if that was really important to you, if that was like something that you tried for, that you meditated on, that you practiced towards, uh, we have the same kind of yearning for a complete reversal of reality that is the the point that it's the pleasure principle within QAnon. When they say take the red pill, they're saying they're they're like offering sex to people. They're offering like orgasm. They're saying they're saying realize the truth, and and it's and it's a sensual. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a mistake that it is associated with a kind of um, euphoric high that that would be that would be connected with with drug taking. They're talking about something that turns your life upside down and inside out. And I was in two different high demand groups in which that was the goal. It was the goal for that to happen, for you to have a moment, a series of moments, a continuing building series of moments in which everything that you understood about your life and reality was actually false. And that realizing that falsity, realizing that objects weren't objects and subjects weren't subjects, or you know there was no such thing as fear, or your brain doesn't put reality together the way neurologists say it, it does... Real having that moment was actually the goal, like the epiphany, uh, and so and so with all of these people who are expressing um, the pleasure of a kind of uh, you know transformative experience, I really wonder how much they've been prepped uh, by a language of transcendence and immediate transcendence uh, in in modern spiritualities. Hmm. I think. Um... I think what's what's interesting is is uh when we talk about cults often they exist on a smaller scale and i know that uh you know matthew in particular i know that you've talked about yoga groups and other spiritual groups that and these are smaller right from what i can understand i could be wrong but they tend to be you know maybe a few dozen people maybe more depending on how popular that guru is mm-hmm. but yeah. at first at first right yeah but the real threat and this is the big picture thing. <laughs> um, I think there's this, I don't know if you would even say they're the same thing, but the that yearning for author, the authoritarian to take control, 
to figure it out, which lends itself to fascism. That is happening on a society level scale, though, right? This is big. Right. So with QAnon and other things maybe adjacent to that, I think it gives space for this type of fascism to emerge in a society like the United States. And so maybe the question I would ask all of you is that in doing your exploration with your podcast and, and everything else you've done, besides that, I mean, what red flag should we be paying attention to? I mean, I think specifically here in the United States, and I think this is why your podcast in particular is so valuable, is that you're like digging into it, you're providing really excellent analysis into these things. And it's something that, something that can be applied on the smaller scale, because I know people on a very individual level are like, oh my God, I can kind of piece this together now. I understand what happened, how I got sucked into this thing. But I think we're seeing this happen with millions and millions of people right now. And I know you can't speak you know, like you can't save the world by fix, you know, if you can't fix all these problems by providing all the solutions to this. But I think there are many people who have the intuition, there's a feeling in them. And I have this too, where it's like something is fucking off here. Where people that were in my life that were frankly apolitical, who didn't really pay attention, didn't really vote, didn't really care about politics on any real level, are coming to me. And they're like, hey, something is just not right. I don't know what's going on. But something is really wrong because they, they're watching the news. It's one horrific thing after the other. Um, and I just get this real feeling that people want to kind of have something clearly defined, like, look, look out. This is a, this is a, this is a signal. This is a sign. This is a red flag. Um, and I imagine this could be applicable on a very small scale, but also on a societal scale as well. I don't know what any of your thoughts were on that, if you had any suggestions or uh, resources to point to in that regard. Maybe I could point to Derek first, and then we can just go from there. I think you're seeing it with all the mailboxes being taken away. We don't need symbols. I mean, one <laughs> of the things about Trump is he's always been telling us what he's going to do and then right. does it. And that's that's part of what, if you're looking at it holistically, part of the mystification of it, but it's also uh, a tried and tested trick. I'll say this. I had a, a, a QAnon adjacent. I don't know how deeply involved she is, but she's challenged me on a few things. She's a yoga instructor on my feed. I don't know if I know her in person, but in the last couple of days, I've seen her posting on my on uh, my feed, uh, challenging me on, you know, uh, the real problem is the Clintons and all of this stuff. And I wrote an article last week from based on our conspirituality podcast about child trafficking with my interview with Reagan Williams, who's a foster youth expert. She does the work. She is on, she works with foster and traumatized children on a daily basis for years, hands-on. This is somebody who's actually doing something. And I wanted to use that interview on Big Think just A to get you know the message out more, but it also provides me with something. And this is what I did this morning when being challenged about this whole, like, why is no one talking about Jeffrey Epstein, which I'm like, well, what are you looking at? Plenty of people are talking about this, but to be like, okay, you really care about child abuse and trafficking. Here is an interview with an expert and a list of at least 10 resources that you can donate your money to. Here it is. So if you want to do something, here you go. I'm providing you the resources. And after I said that, she just replied, thanks, smiley face, and then stopped anything. 
And and that and that I feel is what is important with this because the reality is, and Matthew could probably speak to this in terms of cult survivors, is that when they're indoctrinated, you're not going to pull them out in any capacity. There has to be uh, a breakthrough. There has to be a moment where they want to come out, and then you can help them out. But it's the same thing. So from my perspective, it's always I, I think often of the mantra: "May all ha- in the yoga community, may all beings be happy and free." If you really want to take the bodhisattva vow, that also means beings that you don't agree with. And what we're seeing now is that with yoga and this, these influencers doing this is that they really don't care about the people that don't agree with them. So then what does that really say about their practice and their mantras that they've been saying? So my attitude is one at a time, one at a time, someone comes to you, offer them resources and guidance. And because, because whenever you look at something and like, I want to change the world, you're not understanding that that happens one person at a time. It happens on a small scale that then reverberates. And the way that I feel that the yoga community in America, since at least the 1980s, and we can probably go further into that, but has really looked at it as a, we're going to fix, we're going to meditate for world peace. And for this one hour where everyone around the world's meditating, there's going to be world peace, right? Because they feel better about themselves. And that's, I think, is really short-sighted. But Matthew, was I correct in the assumption about cults and being able to help on that level? Yeah. And also it brings up a sort of very melancholic and somewhat demoralizing point, which is that one person at a time is really hard to contemplate when you're talking about incredible speed in radicalization and and just how just how many people are actually involved. Um, Steve Hassan uh, made this point really eloquently in one of our episodes, uh, talking about how, you know, the the on the interpersonal level, the person who's been indoctrinated or who has, you know, is really is really subject to a kind of mind control. They're not they're not thinking with their own agency, and they've they've undergone a personality change as well in some way. Uh, that they're not going to respond to uh, anything that makes them makes them feel defensive or stupid. And so, you know, Derek's response. Um, to to this person on the feed is is really on is really on point it's like it's like i hear that you're really concerned so this is what i did and maybe you would appreciate these resources uh that's probably the maximal confrontation that would be useful uh and otherwise if you know the person uh you've you've you know in in cult theory anyway uh you maintain the you maintain the 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 relationship as best you can because the thing about you know an online social phenomenon like qAnon is that it creates false bonds between people and and when it when it's over or when people fall away from it it's not like they're going to keep their qAnon friends it's not like they're going to hang out with each other they they people's families are being ruined uh and uh, people are betting a lot of emotional capital on the the notion that uh somehow they are they, they're, they're, they're be, they've become friends with somebody because they're both trolling Chrissy Teigen. And it's just not true. It's just, it's just not going to work. On the other hand, what cult discourse just does not do and what it's not equipped for, and this is kind of a crisis for, for me personally because I've invested so much into studying this literature, is that it really doesn't understand the, um, the, 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 
the technological aspect. And this is where the interview that, that Derek did with Imran Ahmed was so profound for me because uh, Ahmed runs the Center for Combating Digital Hate out of the UK. And, you know, he basically proves that deplatforming, blocking, isolating, treating this material like the actual virus uh, in the world is the only real way of beating the algorithms that want you to engage with it and that are actually monetizing your engagement. So I've been pro pro progressing uh, on this pathway by with kindness, with as much politeness as I can manage. When I know somebody uh, who's who's you know sp spouting conspirituality, you know I have been willing to engage them on friendly terms and to do what I can and to nurture the relationship under the belief that the relationship is is the thing that has to persist because the ideology will fall away. Uh, and what Ahmed points out is that the time that you spent engaging with that person, the time that you spend trying to repair that relationship, that boosts their content in the algorithm. It makes it more, it makes the actual, the, the, the QAnon bullshit actually more attractive to Mark Zuckerberg's uh, profit model. And that's just, that's mind blowing. And so I have this, I found this just to, just to finish up on the cult thing. I have, here's a crossroads statement for you. It's a tweet from Julian Field, who's one of the QAnon anonymous uh, uh, hosts. He's the producer. He tweeted out a while back, I disagree with those who insist QAnon is completely described by the word cult. It has useful elements, but I find the angle fundamentally ignores, and then he has a list, adherent dispersion, like how broad-based, how variant the movement is, variance in engagement, how many people take it seriously, how many are LARPing, how many are just entertained, feedback loops with political discourse, and then he says mental illness, addiction and wealth disparity. So basically he's he's saying he's saying that um not not only not only does does cult theory which really emerged out of the 1980s in an analog era not only does it not understand its digital digital platforming right now it also has to take a broader look at all of these other aspects of public and political health and and so i'm i'm kind of at this crossroads of trying to figure out how how something very old can stretch and if it can actually mm. yeah julian did you have anything to add to that yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm. Uh, we talk about this stuff a lot, so yeah, I'm right there with Matthew on on that analysis. I feel like, um, in terms of your original question, uh, because of my temperament, I come back to this place of saying, well, one of the red flags in a society, in terms of the uh, movement towards fascism, I think, is people really losing touch with reality where if we live in a post-fact society if we live in a society where the president can lie every time he opens his mouth and the there's a there's a pitched battle for you know which which media outlet is going to be framed as just complete propaganda or fake news if if it, the more that stuff swirls and there's no place to to plant any sense of reality uh, the more larger groups of people can get swept up in completely untrue notions of, for example, what this election is about. You know, is is this when 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 people I know are saying, well, really, 
the reason I've now become a Trump supporter, which I never would have thought could be possible, is that this election is really about saving the children. And Trump is the one who is who is going to crack down on all these pedophiles and sex traffickers. To me, that's that's an expression of within our public discourse, just a complete uh, unmooring from any sense of facts, evidence, healthy critical thinking, understanding how logical argumentation works. And so I I know that it's not a sexy answer, but for me, like continuing to try to hold myself accountable in those ways and to try to have my interactions underline the importance of why we think what we think and if we can argue for it coherently and and how to see through arguments that are just filled with logical fallacies and and poorly evidenced outrageous assumptions to me that's that remains of the essence can i can i just uh not totally devil's advocate for a moment but to say that the save the children uh hashtag not only not only um, brand washes uh, the adrenochrome fantasies of QAnon, it also manipulates the Epstein case and everything that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, to the extent that you know this guy gets to kill himself or he's murdered uh, by you know Barr and his associates in in the Manhattan jail, uh, and we don't know how long it's going to take for Ghislaine Maxwell to actually have to speak on record. Uh, to the extent that, you know, Keith Rainier was put away, but, you know, and all the FBI files were open and available for people to, to look at, but nobody's really going to investigate them that far. There's this sort of like sense of lack of closure with regard to are we really addressing networked violence against children? Are we really addressing, um, uh, you know, organized organized trafficking? And so there's a, you know, and this just to speak to to Reagan Williams' point again, we have this situation in which, like, an um, you know, an amplified, fantastical uh, metaphor for what is actually happening is displacing what is actually happening, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't actually help anybody. Can I just ask? This is just out of curiosity. I meant to address this when I interviewed uh, Jared Jared uh, Yates Sexton. I am trying to figure this out. Okay, so you have this is just out of curiosity, right? This is just I just want to get your thoughts on this. I'm sure this fits into culting or cult dynamics in general and the psychology of it. But you literally have Trump associated with Epstein. He's been on his plane, he's been at his parties, you see them together. It's very obvious that he's implicated in this whole thing. And yet he's supposed to be a part of this whole Q thing where he's a part of this operation to uh expose a a child sex trafficking ring involving all these elites. How do they make sense of that? How do they, what kind of mental gymnastics are they engaging in to do this? And I'm sure this applies to other subjects, but like this one in particular is so fucking obvious. Like how does a person in that state of mind, from your understanding, your research or your engagement with these people, how do they understand that? How do they make sense of that? With Q, there's really specific tools with regard to the um, interpretation, the baking process uh, that 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 the that the gamification that the gamers engage with, right? So, so you know, there's there's a Q drop. It's complete gobbledygook. There's like 
you know, there's this commentator who's, who says that it's predictive of that thing. And then there's another commentator who says, well, it's actually retrodictive of this other thing. Uh, and so they have actually built into their discourse the ability to interpret anything as anything. Uh, and whatever, whatever Trump is doing, uh, he can be claimed to be doing the opposite. You know, Derek said uh, that, you know, he's showing us by having the, the, the post office uh, take, you know, mailboxes off the street exactly what he's doing, or he's showing us by sending unmarked minivans into, into uh, Portland to just kidnap protesters off the street. He's showing us exactly what he's doing. I guarantee you that there will be a completely reversed QAnon narrative for what those actions actually are that paint him in the preordained role. So it's actually really, it's your, I think your question is coming out of, you know, how can you not mm. see something that's obvious, mm. but that, but you're starting, you're starting after the indoctrination point, which already gave a person the tool, the tools to turn something completely upside down and inside out, uh, because that's what they need to do. That's what the entire that's what the entire game uh, um, uh, proceeds along. Yeah, just really quickly, the, taking the red pill always means, whatever context it's used in, it always means reality is not what it appears to be, right? Yes, right. And so once, once if, if that is your governing sort of template, then you can spin anything and say, well, no, 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 it's actually all part of this other narrative yeah. that fits my belief. Yeah. I also yeah. wonder with so much emphasis on light and darkness and spiritual practices, there's always this, first of all, people are always seduced by this idea of being part of a group that has secret knowledge that no one else has. And that is, that is, as to use Matthew's term, baked into these practices, at least how they're presented in the indoctrination process. And the, the, so you can, you, I've actually seen the daily show, one of the correspondents whose name's escaping me did a great roundup when he was going around to Trump, Trump rallies last year, but there's always this sense where he'll ask him something and they're about numerology, for example, because there's a whole numerology in QAnon and there's this, uh, the, the, the respondents will be like, yeah, that's, that's his, that's this number. And then he'll be like, what does it mean? He's like, he knows what it means because they can punt it, right? But it's, you know, that that is just classically part of these practices, this idea that your, your knowledge and, and because of the yin-yang symbol, how everything's merged, they can just kind of point to that. See, everything's related. It's this theory of everything model that just they extrapolate from and try to apply in places where it really doesn't, you know, Trump is not playing chess period like i don't think he could play checkers like i'm like it's just so blatant there's no there's no he's the best checkers player he's really (laughs) tremendous at checkers so 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 one thing that i want to say about the about the completeness uh and the patterning that you just referred to i think it's i think that's under um i mean we sort of refer to the comfort of a totalizing template that is provided by a big tent uh, conspiracy theory like like QAnon, um, but uh, you know it's it's I think it's significant that we have also as a culture experienced and and spoken openly about the continuing fragmentation of 
culture, discourse, news sources, uh, the privatization of information. Uh, and so it's, you know, even though the Q world is not coherent, it, it contains the promise of coherence, mm. uh, even though, and, and, and it offers a process of meaning making that I think is very difficult to replicate in um, a popular sense, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if if you are deeply invested in a particular academic discipline, you know what the parameters of meaning making are, right? But you also know that, well, this is religious studies, and in social psychology, they would look at it, at it differently, or this is epidemiology, and in, and in neurology, it's, you know, there are different factors involved. So, so you can have a language by which you speak about the most important things of your life, but you don't have a totalizing language. Uh, you don't have a Bible, as it were. Uh, or, or, you know, or, or I don't know, an oracle the, or an oracle or the full sort of complement of Greek mythology that you might have on board in an, in an, in an oral culture way back when. And so there's something, do you know, the guys, have you seen, have you seen that, like, um, that, uh, map of all of the relationships between dark organizations or, you know, shady organizations that, that uh, is featured in Q groups. It's like, you can't even read it. It's like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, there are English terms there, you know, there are English words. And if you like zoom in and, and strain your eyes, you can see that there there's, there's actually words there, but it looks like, the Narnia landscape or something like that from a distance. It looks like a map of Mordor or, or like it, it's, it's totalizing. And I think it, it allows people to feel like their world is together in some way, even if it's terrorizing. And there's also, there's not even any arrows on that map, by the way. Right. So you don't even have to, at this point, they don't have to show the correlations or the relationships. It's just, they're grouped together, but they're just a bunch of words. And people will take that as some sort of evidence that there's a global conspiracy. Well, you know that the arrows are invisible, right? Because they represent <laughs> your neuro, neurotransmitters and you can't really see that down to that resolution. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Just to just to come back to one other thing before I forget it about this, the 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 red pill and the relationship between spiritual organizations, new religious movements, cults in you know late twentieth century, and instantaneous transformation or the disbelief in reality. I in I was in two cults, and and the first Matrix film came out in what nineteen ninety nine. All right. That was the last year that I was in Endeavor Academy. And the leader there seized on the red pill as being like the meme of his process. He actually, he took us all to see the film. Oh, guess what? His name was Charles Anderson too, which was the name of uh, uh, one of the characters in the, in the film. John Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, so anyway, he, he was like, he was like, yeah, this is the this is this is what transformation is like. This is what waking up is like. Going back further, uh, Michael Roach was was more sort of uh, intellectual and scholarly, but he taught a version of something called Madhyamaka philosophy uh, in Tibetan Buddhism that literally gave logical proofs for the fact that you couldn't be seeing what you thought you were seeing. Uh, and there, it was a very like scholastic form of, of, of early medieval Buddhism coming out of India that was super concentrated on, uh, using logic to humble 
the human ego, really, uh, to say, you think you know what reality and what nature is, and that means that you think you know what the self is. That was their ultimate argument. Uh, and so if they could apply this logic to like a chariot where they would break it down and show you that you didn't actually know what a chariot was, then you were going to use that same logic and apply it to Matthew and who Matthew thought he was. And then if you could get at that, if you could deconstruct that sense of Matthew, then you wouldn't be afraid of you, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be afraid of hanging on to things. You wouldn't think that you were so special. You wouldn't think that uh, you had some sort of, you know, stupid reputation to protect. You could just live. And so his whole philosophy was driving at these logic problems that were telling you you were totally wrong about everything all the time. And yeah, so, so you, like, your way yeah. to be free of suffering, your way to be free of your discomfort at being a human being in your existential situation is to recognize that actually it's all based on wrong thinking and an illusion yes. that can be deconstructed in this sort of philosophical, metaphysical way. Uh, it makes me think cube, too. Right. That's why it, it the makes me think too, of Course in Miracles. That's it. That's, that's exactly it. That's a, that, that was my second cult. And so it's like, that's why the QAnon people don't have any sort of uh, afterlife that they're offering. What they're, what they're asking you to do is to take the red pill, have a transformative experience, join them in their destabilization by which they think they're coming to kind of some spiritual knowledge, but they can't actually describe the world that comes after. They can't actually say, well, this is what the result of all of that deconstructing will be. They don't really have a vision of what freedom is or what, uh, because it's not about, uh, it's not about uh, a better reality. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about, um, uh, it's about dissociation, really, and de depersonalization. It's about, this is too much for me. I need to disappear uh, and find myself somewhere else. And I, I need to disappear fairly fairly soon from, from the interview, but I just wanted to say really quickly, Matthew, immediately in my head, I get the contrast with the phrase that was that was going around progressive circles for, for some time in the last 10 or 15 years, which is another world is possible, right? Think of the difference between the idea that another world is possible and we're going to address all of these very specific policy issues. We're going to address all of these very specific uh problems within uh, the social and political spheres, as opposed to just like, you know, take the red pill and, and join us in this in this huge sort of cosplay LARP, where, you know, it's it's all going to just be turned upside down. The other thing that I, that I wanted to say that came to mind is that I'm remembering the experiment in which researchers found that they could get pigeons to behave superstitiously, you know, that this this tendency <laughs> to interpret causality and and relationships between uh, uh, why uh, interpretations of why things happen goes all the way down to bird brains. Like like we have this this ability to see patterns that are not there, and you can take a pigeon and make it associate receiving a pellet of food with turning in a circle three times to the left, and that pigeon will will figure that out and turn three times to the left to get the pellet. It's a very deep kind of weird. Uh, intersection between how we interpret causality and our uh, uh, drive to survive, and I think there there are ways when we're put and when we're put under extreme stress. So that was part of the experiment too. Is the more you stress the pigeon, the more likely they are to make those superstitious interpretations. And I think that's true of all of us today.
this is a great this is a great thing that you that you're ending with or exiting with because because to put the pigeon under great stress will increase the likelihood that they do the superstitious actions because the superstitious mm-hmm. actions are self-soothing. It's not just that they're going to get the damn pellet. It's that yes. doing turning around actually feels like you're doing fucking something. You feel if you feel I have good, agency. I have agency. I'm doing something. Also, yeah. also, it's just it's a stim, right? It's like it's like a yes. toothpick, or it's like uh. you're scratching yourself, or you're or you're you're doing something. Finally, you're doing something. I don't yeah. want to add as Julian disappears. I I don't want to forget. First off, with Matthew's point, the you uh, they do offer the vision is just utopia. There's no explanation of what utopia looks like, but there mm. is a specific directive that once Trump takes down this ring we will all experience utopia period but also and this is an article i published this morning is just monetization mm-hmm. uh, there is so much QAnon sh- swag that is available uh, over 2000 items on amazon over 6600 items on etsy and uh, some of the main QAnon influencers and i i listed them off some of the ones that i found uh, in my article this morning the ways that they're monetizing their platform to sell either their own services, but using QAnon as their as their platform to get people into their social media feeds or directly related to QAnon. And I think that Matthew made a wonderful point uh, when we were talking on Slack yesterday when I was talking about the article I was working on, which was, it'll be interesting to see as this speeds up and as we get toward the election, which of these influencers who are kind of dipping their toes in QAnon and trafficking will go full on because they realize they'll get more of an audience that way. And I I think we'll see more. Not only that, how how long is it going to take before the first sort of, you know, somatic therapists who are also like, you know, Q adjacent start offering workshops to people who are going through a lot of stress with their realization arc oh. in Q. Right? Because it's like really painful. All of this transformation is so painful. It's so we need self-regulatory practices to be able to read the Q drops because really the Q drops are making us like they're jangling our nervous systems. And yeah. you know, it's it takes a lot of work to be a warrior. And boy, you know, this digital warriorship is like it 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 there's it exacts a toll. And so it, we're gonna have to do a lot of self-care we're gonna have to oil to our oil our feet and put coffee up <laughs> <our asses. laughs> sure i mean it's we're gonna have to do a lot of self-care guys because man q <laughs> is the transformation is intense yeah. it's harshing your mellow for sure you wait yeah. you wait it's gonna happen people are gonna start monetizing providing therapy for people who are freaked out because they're devoted to Q, because, because they've heart, woken up, because they've woken up, and they're mm-hmm. they're going through a an awakening uh, crisis, and uh, that's 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 serious stuff. They really need to be taken care of, you know, right? Yeah. Well, Julian, I know you need to get going, and they keep yeah, on pulling you back in. I, I bet this is how it goes all the time. So I'll just I'll say <laughs> thank you. I'll just ask Matthew and Derek just a couple questions, and then we'll wrap it up. But I sure, just thank sure. you for taking time to to speak with us. Thanks for having me. See you later, guys. Yeah. See you soon. See you. See you. Um, so I would just ask, you know, just a couple questions maybe here um, before we end this, which is, you know, I know that you, uh, all three of you address specific individuals within the wellness influencers ecosystem. I guess you could say that. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about specific examples of that or if you wanted to maybe point to 
maybe some upcoming episodes that you're working on where you're going to address more of this, but I'm curious about like what your process is and deciding who to address. Yeah. Um, is it based on how much influence they have, how many followers they have on Facebook, Instagram, social media in general, or are there other things that you're looking for to draw your attention to? We don't really have a system, do we, Derek? I mean, um, we do have, in terms of naming names, we have started doing that, I mean, throughout the episodes, but we've also uh, created a, a page called Red Pilled in which uh, we're listing all of the yoga, Buddhist, wellness, uh, health, alt-health influencers who are using explicit QAnon rhetoric or providing you know, some sort of content gateway for that. Um, but yeah, it's a constant juggle, like who has influence, who has power, who seems to be compelling. Um, I know that, uh, I've got a, I've, I'm not going to say who it is, but I've got a, I've got a feature that I'm working on that I chose because, um, the social media reach is wide. Uh, so, um, that's definitely a factor. I've been very interested in Christiane Northrup because, She's like a wellness icon who has 500,000 Facebook followers. So, but then other times I'm interested in really like, you know, um, minor players because of something that they show really clearly in terms of how the, the jargon or the, the techniques operate within conspirituality. What about you, Derek? I, yeah, the process is Matthew's that, I mean, you know, this is still a relatively new podcast, you know, coming up in episode 13, uh, officially 15, because we started with my podcast and then made it our own. And, you know, we have conversations. One of the great things is how much feedback we're getting from the community right. uh, on Patreon and on Facebook. The, the people are feeding us. I, I think this weekend I got three episode ideas alone from people requesting things. And that's amazing. Uh, I think there's, a, you know, first off, I, I am trained as a journalist and I know I reference myself. I really think of myself more as a columnist. And I say that specifically because I stopped being a journalist because I wasn't interested when I was covering local politics in New Jersey of just repeating talking points. Now, obviously the political landscape was much different then, but I wasn't interested in that, that approach to media. So I worked in entertainment for a long time and I've worked in health and sciences for a decade. And I consider myself more of a columnist, but I do have training in journalism. And so therefore there are things that were told that I would love to talk about. I'm not trying to be secretive here, but we do have a process of making sure that whatever we're covering has been expressed publicly and we can link and point to it because it's very easy to kind of get caught up in hearsay and people tell us things and we're like, well, we'd love to like discuss this, but if it's not available publicly, um, then we're putting ourselves at risk. And it's, it's, it's not fair if we can't offer some sort of verification because a lot of this podcast has to do with the fact that people are just making things up and promoting them without any evidence. So we're really trying to, <laughs> stick, we're trying to stick to that in our own work. I will say that one thing that is on my mind sometimes is, is understanding. And even this morning in the article that I, that I wrote is I don't link, I, I have to link to everyone out of good faith, but I don't link to every specific example because I don't want to amplify certain voices or products so when I'm talking about QAnon monetizing things, chances are people who are fans are going to find my article and then be like, oh, they're selling this. Let me go there. And that's an amplification process. So it's, it's, it's very difficult. You know, we do put a lot of thought into who and who we're covering. 
and how we're doing it. Uh, that said, like I said in the beginning of this interview, the three of us come from different backgrounds and we have different interests. And so the, that, that fact that we have not just one, one uh, history to pull from, but three is we're constantly putting out ideas and then we bring our own angles to it, which I think is going to give a lot of life to this podcast in the long term. And what's going to be able to sustain it is because there's so much to pull from that we're not really going to run out of content anytime soon. Yeah, and I I would just add too that um, as 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 we develop and as our as our technique gets a little bit more transparent to us, uh, that also the differences in our roles and interpretations and life histories I think will become a little bit more um, uh, prominent uh, or at least at least discoverable. I think I think that we've sort of sailed into this as a um, like a in crisis mode almost. Uh, as we've watched conspirituality blossom and become a gateway for more intense uh, ideologies. And so um, there's been a lot of speed involved in how we've developed, but uh, there's also a way in which like um, it's, it's, I think it's important given the fact that conspirituality will be with us for a long time and that uh, with QAnon, we're now talking about something that will become intergenerational. Uh, you know, it's not like it's not like when when Trump dies or or when he's voted out of office that they're going to go away. It, that's not going to happen, and we're going to have to figure out a way of living with this new landscape of of uh, surreality uh, for a long time. And my approach to that uh, is to always, especially as a cult survivor, is to always look for uh, points of connection or uh, forgiveness or um, reconciliation when possible uh, and to and to also recognize that um, you know the people who work in these borderline uh, environments where uh, let's say they uh, do astrology but they also wear a mask and they also respect public health, uh, advice that when there's this mixture of um, alternative health perspectives, but also like a decent respect for, you know, consensus medicine and so on, uh, you know, it's it's really imp- it's really important to recognize that people live in different worlds, uh, and that people live with with. Uh, competing values, and it's not. And, and I know that that the three of us just have different perspectives on this. That you know, critical thinking is super important, but there's also people who are transrational who don't fuck things up and who aren't unkind to people and who and who would not participate in conspirituality or QAnon. And so, uh, I think more nuance will develop over time as we continue to discuss who the players are in this uh, and and uh, how and how uh, rich their lives are. Um, and, you know, how, how variant their, their spirituality actually is. And one person that we discussed on an earlier episode is in contact with us now, and he wasn't happy with the coverage. And I'll just say one thing in that dialogue that sticks out in my head was his accusation that he's building something, we're only tearing things down. Mm. And I think that's a really uh, narrow focus or understanding of what education is and what resources are. Because in my mind, you know, the three of us are trained in, in various modalities and but specifically around thinking critically. And if one thing comes out of this conversation is that thinking critically is a skill that needs to be developed. 
And so even just having these sorts of discussions, whether it's on my our podcast or yours, as we're doing right now, is that people do derive value from this because it's we're hoping that people can be like, oh, we're I thought about it this way, now we're looking at it this way, and that's what an education is, and and we're losing that. Uh, so I very much consider what we're doing an educational resource. We have red pilled. We're working on another page that's a Q and on terms so that people can recognize them. And as we get more support and we do this longer, the hope is that conspirituality.net becomes an educational resource for people who are confused and feel that they have nowhere to turn. That's what it feels like when I looked at your website, when I listened to your, I mean, you have what, two hour plus episodes. I mean, and, and that's not by, by means like a bad thing at all. I'm just saying that you're, I love how you break it up into segments. You, you There's a general theme, I feel like for each episode, but you are like, all right, we're going to have our parts. We're going to have our little monologues. There are things you have these really funny interesting conversations, exchanges with each other. You have interviews with people like you're pulling a lot of things together. Like that's really unique. Um, and I just, I just love listening to it. I, I just, I learned new shit every time. I'm like, Oh my God, like I thought I understood this thing, but no, I guess I didn't as much as I thought I did. Matthew had a really great idea with this week in spirit in spirituality because the first couple were just conversations. And then he started to give it form with that. And I think that was really important because that gives us each an opportunity to bring what we want to the table that week. Yeah. Usually it's related to the larger theme, but not necessarily. And I think it is, I think it is easier on the listener. You know, I, I was a fan of Rogan. I mean, I'll still tap in once in a while, but I can't say I'm happy, but I've listened to (laughs) many three hour episodes of his in the past and they're wonderful, but there were no breaking points. And we just t- took that since we knew we were going to be going a little longer. I-, I think segmenting them really helps people because they could be like, okay, I finished that segment. I can come back to it later. And, you know, as Matthew said, it's a work in process and it's going to change again, but we're, we're starting to find the formats that work. I, I want, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to Natalia uh, uh, Petrozella and Nicole Hemmer and their colleague on uh uh, past present podcast because yeah. that was where the idea of this week in spirituality came from because oh. they do a theme they do a theme and then nicole says all right natalia what's making history for you this week and and she does her <laughs> thing and it's usually unrelated but it's like a little segment and anyway so so uh i i also appreciate that you know i mean for me podcasting is totally new so i'm learning a lot and and uh i'm i'm really enjoying it and it's been really inspirational to hear uh, all of your guests through down through the last little while, uh, Patrick, and and to see how you manage all that content. So thank you for the invite. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah. No, I really appreciate it. I'll just say right here real quick. Um, I know there's your uh, website you mentioned, which is conspirituality.net. I want to make sure people understand it's a merging of conspiracy and spirituality, conspirituality.net. And I believe you have a Patreon page. Is that right? Is it patreon.com Patreon, slash Patreon, Facebook, uh, patreon.com slash conspirituality, uh, facebook.com slash conspirituality podcast. And then we're on YouTube as well. Okay. Well, I'll just wrap it up here. And uh, Matthew, Derek, and now Julian's gone, but thank you all for agreeing <laughs> to do this. This has been great. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing your thoughts. Thanks, Patrick. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Okay. Be safe. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Last Born in the Wilderness. If you would like to support this project monetarily, here are a few options. You can send a one-time donation through PayPal. Go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast, and you can treat that like a bit of a tip jar. If you like this episode, or any other episode of this podcast in particular, consider throwing a few bucks Patrick's way. That would really be helpful. And if you would really like to sustain this work and support this project more regularly, consider supporting this project through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash lastborninthewilderness and donate to the production of this podcast for $1 or more a month. And by doing that, you'll gain early access to these interviews and discussions before the official public release. And you will also gain access to some exclusive content there as well. As the great psychedelic bard Terrence McKenna said, take it easy, dude, but take it.